as I do. <laughs> Hello, Sorens and Sam. I'm Karina, and we are joined by Divya. Okay. Um, and would you like to get started with whatever you have in mind? And if not, I have some questions to ask either now or at the end. Um, I mentioned this before we started recording, but my head is very empty. Okay. So whatever questions you may have would I'll be great. And then we can, we can see where that leads us. <laughs> okay. They're mostly film related, as you might imagine. Um, Naturally. So first thing is I'm sure you know about the Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney stuff. But the thing that I, I specifically wanted to ask you about is like, I'm not quite sure how to phrase this, but what do you think about the relationship? Like, I've seen a few videos where people be like, yeah, I'm lucky that my personal life didn't feed into the success of a show, like from actors from like the 80s and 90s. So what do you think about that like kind of dynamic where now like celebrity relations will be part of the hype around a release and what do you what, what's your take on everything I guess oh I feel like it's like a little bit inevitable just because of the way parasocial relationships with celebrities have been going for the past couple of years like I think they've been there to a certain degree like when like since the concept of celebrity has existed but like with social media and with all of that like it's just been getting worse <laughs> um <laughs> so in a way it's inevitable in another way it kind of sucks because you I feel like like as an artist you kind of want to be able to be appreciated for what you make and not necessarily like who you're in a relationship with yeah. um so it's like a double-edged sword because maybe it will sell the movie and like that's ultimately what you want but also is that why you want your movie sold <laughs> yeah I feel like it's similar I feel like I've also mentioned this to you before, but there are certain celebrities where it's like, I can't really watch their movies because I just see them. Like once you yeah. get to a big enough status, like I've never been able to watch a Leonardo DiCaprio movie and be like, oh, he's a good actor. Cause I literally just the whole time see Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. That um, man's round face haunts me. <laughs> no, literally like the, the picture you had of him on our wall. In our <laughs> Like that, that particular gaze is just like as soon as I think of him, it's just that. Because also, you would see that every morning, <laughs> like I'm me and going to the other door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's me currently. I have a the Robert Pattinson poster right outside my door, and every day when I open it, I just I see a very regal R Pats. You're just graced with his presence. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but the next thing is so have you heard or like no. Based on Letterboxd, we have not seen it, but the movie Carmen, like Paul Mescal's new movie that he's in. Oh, I know about it, but I've not seen it. I don't want to see it because this feels like the first, I mean, the ratings are low on Letterboxd. I haven't heard like anything good. And also just like the premise just kind of sounds like it'd be a bit white saviorish in general. Yeah. And to me, this is like quite a big dip for Paul Mescal. And I think it's interesting to see something like that kind of in real time. And so I guess what this is like, if this movie is kind of like a flop, like not really the kind of storytelling he's been going for, do you think that this is like, uh, like a, it's going to keep being low? Or do you think this is like learning curve or in general, how do, have you noticed that these things like go a certain way, like selling out for the first time almost? Um, so I don't, I don't think it necessarily is an indicator of anything, just because I feel like in general, we have this idea of what success looks like and that 
once you do something like really cool and really meaningful, like, like take after sun, take like normal people, like something that means a lot. And like, is a good showcase of you as an artist. Like, I feel like there's an idea that, Oh, you have to kind of just like continue that. It's like a continuous upwards trajectory. Whereas like truly like so many of our favorite actors who are now like older have made so many flops in their time. <laughs> like it's just a rite of passage. Sometimes you just have to get your bag and like and then it's eventually camp too. Exactly. Exactly. So like it's I I don't think it'll necessarily mean anything bad for his career. He's also like I think he's in the new Gladiator movie. I mean like everyone and their mother is, is in that? the new Gladiator. Um so there's like there's the original Gladiator movie which I think was directed by Ridley Scott. And I think he's directing the new one. Um, But the new ones, like the cast is crazy. Like it's every single like popular actor you can currently think of is in it. Um, They just added Pedro Pascal. Like it's a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Pedro Pascal and Paul Mescal in the same movie. I know. (laughs) A little. Like, wait, let me, I need to pull up this cast because it's like, there's, it's bad. I mean, it's not bad, but it's like I feel it's like a sometimes lot. it can be bad because that's like going back to the first thing of like if they're all if they're all popular actors, then it's hard to not just see it as like a celebrity get together instead of a movie. And I guess yeah, I'm that's like, fair. Because like like with After Sun, like I I honestly don't remember the girl's name, the actress's name, but like she's not as well known. No one else in the movie is like as well known as he is, so it's easier to like put him into like For a sure. setting if that makes sense and then with normal yeah. people like him and daisy just like weren't well known at the time like that's their breakup yeah. so this kind of thing is always like like you said it like if it gets you to see the movie that's good but then it's just you're just watching people in the cast for a while <laughs> yeah that's why i'm kind of i'm interested to see what happens with barbie and oppenheimer because like i mean same day release but also i'm so excited for both of them I'm so excited. I, it's gonna. I'm gonna have to do both in one day. Like I simply I, must. Yeah. Do you want to watch it together? <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. Because, <laughs> but also, I will relinquish control of order to you. But I personally prefer Oppenheimer to Barbie, just because I think it'd be hard to go from all that color to black and white. Oh, that's my exact logic. I can't go from like hyper pop in a movie to <laughs> yeah. like the literal atomic bomb like that yeah. cannot be, be the order be revived yeah okay but do you have the cast list i do so it's less lengthy than i actually thought it was it was a lot longer in my head but we have pedro pascal we have paul mescal um joseph quinn who i don't know that man but other <laughs> people do um i don't know that man <laughs> he was in stranger things Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, neither have I. <laughs> um, and then the two other names that I know are Barry Keoghan and Denzel Washington. I love Barry. Yeah. <laughs> I love Barry so much. Um, but also, side note about why I didn't watch Stranger Things, just a very quick little story, is so in high school, I took a, like studio art classes, and I one of them that I took was sculpture, and we were allowed to use like part of the hallway and one of the wings of our school to like build an installation and our concept was um alien spaceship club crashed onto a farm and so we had like the farm outside area and we had like a bar as a transition thing but then we also had like inside the spaceship 
And we had my high school every year would do like a little like free art like day for kids and like anywhere in the city to come and like we had art activities for them. And each class had like their own little section. So for sculpture, I like helped run the bar and make them like silly little juice drinks. Um, but they played Stranger Things like song on a oh loop God. the whole day. Oh no. And after that, I was like, I'm literally just never watching this stupid show out of spite. <laughs> I fully understand because I, um, wait, do we name names? Because I was listening to your podcast, your previous episode, and um, I don't know. I do not name if can you give me a hint as to who it is <laughs> like a, one of my friends who you don't know who won't ever oh, be on this oh, podcast yeah then sure <laughs> that's fine but I can't be credited with the doom um I once sat next to Isaiah for a solid I I have to, it has to have been more than half an hour like it feels like an eternity in my memory yeah. But he was singing the Pretty Little Liars theme song on repeat for the entire time. Like, just getting higher and higher pitched. And so I just, like, I'm sure that I know that show, like, a lot of people love that show, but I, I simply like could never watch it. I read the whole book series. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a book series. It's based on, it, like, it goes very off the, off the given trail, but there is a book series. It's so fun. But have you seen, um, what's his, is it, like, there's a YouTuber who does, he has like a two part, two hour, each one's two hour long. I know exactly yeah. who you're talking about. Would you watch that instead of? <laughs> I would. I think if there was anything I watched in relation to that show, it would be that. Um, I tried watching his Glee video, but it was so long that I just, and I gave up. And it's Glee. <laughs> and it's Glee. Um, okay, but my next question is, is, the w, is it WGA or WAG? the writer it's wga <laughs> although okay, wag would be fun <laughs> i think i think i just i think because of sag i was thinking wag yeah um but can you explain what's going on with that and sure. what your take is and how it'll affect you um so my take before i explain what it is is that it's great that they're striking <laughs> not great that they have to strike but yeah. support the strike um basically the last time my so my knowledge of this is like it's kind of surface level. Like I've been hearing from my screenwriting professors from like people at my job, but like, I don't know the nitty gritty details. Yeah. Um, but my understanding is that the last time the guild uh, picketed and striked, struck, striked, um, <laughs> the last time this happened, they, up, they struck. <laughs> yeah. Last time this happened was 2007. Um, <laughs> And that was because streaming was on the rise and they wanted to kind of like, like, I think amend their con, not amend their contracts, but like put certain stipulations in their contracts that would protect the writers from like the changing market. Um, and that like, that had a whole bunch of effects. The, there were the actual like protections put in for writers after that strike. Like there were some, there weren't really enough. Um, and then now more recently the guild's contract was up. And so it was like in the renegotiation stage. Um, and pretty much like all or most of the things that the guild wanted, um, the major studios that they were kind of like negotiating with were like, no, we don't like, we're not going to do that. 
Um, a lot of it has to do with residuals, which is like when you write an episode of television, um, you get money. Like as the writer, you will get a certain amount of money from how much money that that TV show makes mm -hmm. um, as people like watch it over time. Um, but like, and in theory, that should be like really like a good source of income for people. But like there's I've seen so many screenshots on Twitter of like writers posting their residual checks and they're all for like one cent oh my God. and like two cents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like, it's not great out there. Um, so part of it was that there was like another bit about AI because the guild wanted to make the studios like le legally binded to like not um, use AI to create ideas or to write like scripts. That. Yeah. I also like that. Um, <laughs> but the, me. I know it's like, it scares me, but also I'm like, it doesn't scare me in the sense of like, I think AI is going to take over. Yeah. It scares me in the sense of like, I think people will stop valuing the yeah. things that they think AI can replace when in reality, like AI can't replace those things. Yeah. Um, as someone so eloquently put on their WGA strike sign, um, they said, AI does not have my childhood trauma. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there was stuff about that, and the studios are basically like, "No, we won't. We won't give you protections against AI, but we can give you a yearly informational session." And all the writers are like, "That's not helpful." Um, so there was stuff with that. There was stuff with. Um, there was something else very large that I am now forgetting. Oh, uh, stuff with like writers' rooms because like a lot of studios like try to eliminate writers' rooms because um, it means Why? paying more writers. Uh, <laughs> um, basically, <laughs> the studios are trying to just not pay people, and the guild is striking over that. And it's like a it's having a ripple effect because all the other like related unions in Hollywood and even like non related businesses like a lot of restaurants and like real estate people they're all supporting the guild. Um, and then if this continues next month, the director's guild is going to strike. And if oh, that nice. continues the month after that, um, the screen actors guild is going to strike. <laughs> um, so basically like, like my, my professor thought or thinks that this is going to keep going on until like September. So oh, it's nice. just going to be like more and more people striking. So what does that, does that mean that like nothing new is being written or just like what is what is what are like the implications of that in the meantime for writers it means that um striking members which ideally is everyone um is like they aren't allowed to take on any writing work any paid writing work yeah. um i think that's only for screenwriting if, if they want to like start a blog i feel like that's probably <laughs> fine um, yeah. but you know it's a journal <laughs> Yeah, no writing whatsoever. Um, but yeah, they basically can't take on any writing work. And it and also means for non-guild members like myself, um, not that I don't want to be in the guild, I just like have never sold a script. Um, yeah. uh, it means that we also can't take on writing jobs because that would be scabbing. Um, so pretty much writing is just on a halt for now. Um, not to talk endlessly about Supernatural, and also to bring it up in every single conversation I I'm have. ready for this. Um, <laughs> this does relate to the strike. Basically, my best example of, like, what can happen in terms of, like, the media we consume yeah. 
during one of these strikes. There's a lot of business things that happen, but like for like on a consumer level, in 2007, <laughs> the Writers Guild went on strike, and um, in the lead up to this, a lot of shows like they kind of know that the strike is happening. Like we've known that this strike this year has been happening like for a couple months now. Um, it wasn't a guarantee, but like we thought. Um, and so in 2007, same situation, they think the strike's going to happen. And so they're basically like for TV shows that are like in the constant writing stage, they are trying to like crank out as much as possible. Um, one to get paid, but two to like finish whatever season. Yeah, that makes um, sense. and like, usually that means that the quality of whatever it is decreases. <laughs> um, <Familiar. just> because <laughs> it's like, it's tough to write under that kind of deadline. Um, yeah. And so in 2007, um, it was season three of Supernatural and they were anticipating a writer's strike. So season three of Supernatural, I don't know how many episodes it is. It's shorter than the normal, like 22 episode season. Mm -hmm. Um, and originally like the storyline for that season was that, um, Dean and Sam, the two brothers, Dean is cursed to go to hell. Um, he has like this like one year time limit on him and he's going to go to hell. And ideally, originally, they were going to try to like work their way around it by the end of the season um, so that he doesn't end up having to go to hell. However, the writer's strike happened. So they're like, you know, what? we're just going to send him to hell. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> yeah. So that happens at the end of season three. And then strike ends, season four writing begins. And they're like, well, what do we do? Dean is now in hell. <laughs> Yeah. And that that brings they're like, what if we just brought God into this? <laughs> so at that point Leave that man they, alone. <laughs> I know. At that point they bring in Castiel, the yeah. now infamous gay angel. And um okay. that like he's the oh yeah, go for it. What is the thing that um what is the actor for Castiel? What's his name? Misha Collins? What does yeah. that do something like every year? Like a scavenger hunt thing he does yeah it's like a charity does that event. still happen i don't know i okay. like i just figured you if anyone knew i thought it might be you that's all no if, that's true um i'm thankfully removed enough to not know <laughs> that but not removed enough to know everything i've just said um okay <laughs> yeah going back, you said castiel comes in castiel comes in and basically just like changes the trajectory of like the entire show and like yeah. its fan base um, which I just think is so funny. Um, like it's that, basically, that's my example of like, these are um, the drastic things that can happen during a writer's strike in yeah. terms of like the actual, like things being produced. Um, it's also why there's like, there's a lot of other examples of just like weird writing choices that were made, um, either because there were deadlines in place or because non writers were like trying to throw something together to like yeah. keep production moving <laughs> uh that is interesting because is there anything that could stop them from like using ai while they strike you know so no in theory that's what uh there, i read an article where i think some studios were thinking of using ai during this time to try to like get things rolling right. and then having yeah. actual screenwriters like rewrite it later um which is just that's so much extra work for no reason and like yeah. no one games <laughs> um but so like they can't stop we can't stop that from happening but also there is some comfort in knowing like 
that the quality of the work being produced <laughs> by the AI during this time is simply going to be terrible. Yeah. So, you know, there's and, that. And in a, like, very backwards way, I, I like, AI yeah, freaks me out. But um, th- I think it would be fun if there is just, like, one show that's produced that's entirely, like, AI script. Because I kind of <laughs> feel like it'd be... Um, what's it called? Oh no! What's his name? Canadian businessman. Canadian businessman. The show. What's his name? Oh my god! He. Oh god. What is? What, what's you know, the deal? <laughs> he went to business school in Canada. Oh no! I'm blinking. So I have to look it up. But he did. Uh, he did an interview with Alexa Demi on. Like a or like a podcast episode with her for A twenty four, I think. Um, he's a comedian, a comedian businessman who went yeah. to school in Canada. <laughs> That's so many factors. <laughs> Nathan, for you, I didn't even finish looking up Nathan. Oh, oh my god, <laughs> I know nothing but about Nathan. Him. Nathan Fielder. <laughs> um, I feel like it would just be like watching his show because it's the kind of like weird vibes that that has and i haven't watched nathan fielder came up with a new show recently that i haven't watched yet but they just kind of like let him have free reign on like people's lives and really weird yeah. <laughs> and i kind of feel like that's how it turns so i think like one show like that could be interesting but then i feel like it's probably gonna be played out you know yeah i feel like as an experiment just to be like how weird can we make this yeah it would oh, be yeah, fun <laughs> okay yeah. and the next question uh so uh, like a month ago, maybe I watched like a few video essays on Nepo babies, ah. and something that like kept coming up about like how and there was someone that was like did like a tier ranking of people's responses <laughs> to accusations of being <laughs> Nepo babies. Um, but a lot of the people, specifically like actors and actresses, what they would kind of say is like, "I come from like a family of storytellers," kind of thing, and I'm like, I I do feel like. I mean, like, own your nepotism, but that's not an entirely invalid thing. Like, that is part of the advantage you get, I think, is, like, just, like, living a lifestyle of storytelling, of, like, inhabiting those spaces. And so I wanted to ask your opinion on, like, the nepo baby thing. And then simultaneously, a lot of these people, oh, what's her name? She's the blonde lady and everything everywhere all at once. Oh, um... Oh my god, I'm blanking on her. But she's a nepo baby. Yeah, she um, is. But she's the kind of, she's old enough that like when her parents were like establishing themselves in the industry, it was still considered like a seedy place in a lot of ways and it wasn't respectable. So how do you think that like the fact that like just in like a generation or two, the industry has evolved so much that the children of these people could be considered nepo babies instead of like being slandered a bit for it? Does that like change your opinion on it at all or is that why you think that some of these kids some of these kids being like full adults are so like stand their ground so much and like I don't gain anything from this kind of thing um well first hot take about nepo babies is that I would like to marry one so I can be a nepo in-law and benefit (laughs) um (laughs) I like that but that aside um I like, I, I, it's so complicated because honestly, I don't necessarily fault like Nepo babies for like, I, like, like you said, like they're saying that they're growing up in a household of storytellers and like, that's 
true. Like, I think like you are very much influenced by in one way or another, you're influenced by like the culture you grow up in. And if that culture is just like Hollywood, yeah. then like, it kind of makes sense that you would want to go down that same path. Um, I also like, I do have some hope that like, if there is a totally completely like naturally untalented Nepo baby who also wants to put in no hard work, like yeah. it simply would work out for them. Um, <laughs> because like, yes, maybe it's naive, but like, money and like connections can get you a really long way but like if you simply aren't going to work for it like other people don't respect that um even if you're famous or your parent is famous um and i've forgotten the second half of your question but it was just about the transition for like how some of these families have been in the industry since it wasn't a respected craft since it was like if like in the early 1900s, like 20s, 30s, like going so far as to be associated with like prostitution and stuff like that. It's true. Um, I mean, it's definitely changing. Like, I oh my god, her name is on the tip of my tongue. Well, the, just, like, the everything, everywhere. Oh, I'll just look it up. <laughs> but she's one of she. The video that I looked. Jamie at was, Lee Curtis. She yeah, it is. But she <laughs> like changed her take. Like she used to own it, own up to it, like very well, and like in this past awards season, she's kind of like stepped back from like the ownership she had with, um, like being an Apple baby and like the privileges that it has and afforded her in her life. I feel like that's probably just due to like the changing conversation about it, and also maybe, like, I think when we have conversations like this that exist very much like in the public sphere and very much online like you're gonna get people just like coming out of the woodwork saying the craziest things you've ever heard like the most black and white takes you've ever heard yeah um so i kind of get wanting to distance yourself from it it also could have to do with the fact that like jamie lee curtis has more of a background in like horror movies and like like just like movies that aren't necessarily like critically acclaimed by the people who are in charge. Um, and so maybe she just wants to distance herself from that. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we could get to a place where maybe it's like, not, we like circle back around. (laughs) Um, but I think right now it's just kind of tough. It's also tough because there's like, there's so many different, like, there's so many people who are Nepo babies where no one knows. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't like, know Jesus Curtis was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, like most people know about Maya Hawk, but like yeah. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis is a more, or like she flies under the radar a bit. Um, yeah. There's also like, like I was saying with like people coming out of the woodworks, like you get like very unnuanced takes about like what defines a Nepo baby. Yeah. And it's like, if your dad's a gaffer, all respect to him. He's doing the good work. However, yeah. you are not a nepo baby. There's no nepotism in the gaffing industry that I could possibly think of. <laughs> um, Other than like the familiarity with the realm. And like that's yeah. like you said, that's just what's gonna happen. Like that's anything. simply yeah. And you could do that on YouTube if we're being completely honest. <laughs> you you could surround yeah. yourself with about as much access as certain people have. Yeah. Yeah. That is very fair. So this is, do you have any 
other like have any other thoughts appear to you about what we've talked about so far? So I have a little other text, a little bit of questions m- more. Wow, grammar. Um, <laughs> I love but it's grammar. just like it's similar vein to like film and stuff, but it's less about more finite things. It's more conceptual. So do you have any thoughts about things so far that you remembered or yes? Um, I don't think I don't think I have thoughts in general. Um, so Relive. things are simply they're going straight from my brain to my mouth and exiting and will be in someone's ears at some point. I love that. That's the dream. Okay. <laughs> so the next part, I'm gonna say a little blurb of things, and okay. then you tell me your thoughts and how you feel about it. Um, so there's kind of three points, but I feel like it's like film and a lot of just like media, like books or TV in general, I said it could be a safe way to interact with people or feel connection for those who have like um, just like a difficult, like maybe if they have social anxiety or just like rather introverted, but still like want to feel like they've seen people in the day they can just like easily watch tv oh no it says running out of time because this is okay so fun fact (laughs) um the nyu zoom like either my stern account or my like normal one they don't let me record um (laughs) so we'll have to restart this it's not um but (laughs) um i forgot that that was gonna happen uh, literally the last two times I've had to use the guests <laughs> Zoom account. Oh, no. <laughs> but I figured since you're NYU as well, that you have the same problem. Yeah. Um, but, okay, so basically, yeah, no, like as a means of like safety in connecting. And similarly, like that could be good for people who are like traumatized. But then on, on the traumatized person's page identify as such um but not for these reasons but this is just interesting but the book the body keeps the score uh they talk about how a lot of people who have been traumatized like they're like there's a kind of therapy where you just you do acting roles and if the people in the story have like a similar like root issue as you but you can see their life go a different way or like a healthy way that helps a lot of people like move through trauma or like even ptsd like a lot more easily because they're able to envision themselves with like a healthier lifestyle. So I think that's a really cool thing that like film can do well. And to me that just because I'm already thinking about everything everywhere all at once. I know one of the Daniels had like felt like an immense amount of responsibility to like have it end up happy. So that way people don't just feel, keep feeling hopeless. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that kind of like responsibility. Um, if you're dealing with darker things, while like you want to present a reality but also like give people a way out if you will and then the idea of re-watching shows as a means of control so it's like a lot of people have like comfort shows that they just watch over and over whenever they feel like their life is kind of like off the rails because at least like you know what's going to happen and I think this is similarly off track but I think this is why certain like certain kinds of people reminisce a lot about the past or they could be like quote unquote stuck in the past is because they're like scared of the change which might happen and so if you're just always focusing on what half occurred there's going to be no surprises there you know so those are my little that's my little blurb do with like that the little blurb. Do. I'll throw to, it to, those, to those listening Kaya is 
<laughs> I'm holding her hands. Holding a ball of energy. Yeah, which is it's like roughly melon-shaped. I hope you can weave the yarn, which I have balled. <laughs> Thank you. I, I hope I can, too. <laughs> um, I... I'm short-circuiting. Um, <laughs> I think... Um, I think it's really interesting that like shows can provide a kind of comfort to people who are working through certain traumas. Um, because I agree, like, I think that's like, it's really cool. It's also like, I feel like a healthy way of trying to like rationalize certain things and like a safe way of doing it. Um, but I also think it's kind of interesting, like from a production standpoint, because like, as a viewer, you can see things and you can see characters going through similar situations as you and like see how they deal with it to try to like, like think about your own life. But I also think like as writers, that's often what happens. Like not to say that like everything is a self insert because ideally it shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think there is like, ideally as a writer, you're putting a little bit of yourself into every single character, even like the villains, like regardless of who they are, you're like taking some kind of experience that you've had or some facet of yourself and like, just like magnifying it. Um, and so I feel like for writers, it's also a way to be like, here's maybe something that I went through and like, I don't want this to be autobiographical. So I'm not going to like, just like go through my life, but like, here's a character who had something similar happen. And then I'm just going to like, I don't know, put it in space or something and like, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so, like, I feel like it kind of goes both ways. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. Um, and do you think there's like a degree to which that kind of like escapism can become unhealthy? And like, I don't know, like the kind, do you, I guess, because it can be a healthy way, do you think that ever becomes like, unhealthy to kind of live completely in another reality and at like some point does it stop being like beneficial to you because it's just like I don't know is there like in either direction especially because I hadn't really thought about like the writer's one does like writing I mean writing as a coping mechanism someone who likes to write myself I would <laughs> like to say that could never happen that could never be a problem exactly but not like, for us yeah no it's different yeah <laughs> So do you um, think that line, where, what? I, I think it can get unhealthy in two different senses. Um, one, if like you as the viewer or the writer like get so lost in this other world that like you are no longer making the connection back to yourself. Like if you are seeing this character like go through these things and you just, you as a viewer are self-inserting yeah. um, and not actually like living your life, like then it becomes kind of concerning. Um, fan fiction. Exactly. <laughs> um, like, I feel like, like you, we use fiction as a way of like rationalizing and like mm. seeing the world and reflecting it. Um, but that can't be the way we like live the world. Like, you still need to like experience life <laughs> and then have something to compare it to. So I think it can be unhealthy in that sense. And then I also think it can be kind of unhealthy in like a larger, like media literacy sense. Um, because I feel like when we have a lot of fiction that is meant to be escapism, we kind of like build this expectation that all fiction is escapism. And then you get takes like where you have a character doing something like terrible 
And like, you're not supposed to condone that kind of action, but like, because we're so used to escapism, we see that and we're like, oh, how dare this piece of media say that this yeah. thing is good? <laughs> so um, just like a lack of critical thinking, like not because so much television is meant to just be like, you get home, you turn your brain off that then you think your brain should always be off watching media like that. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> exactly. dots I'm are connecting <laughs> i'm gonna quickly pause this recording and it might take oh, yes. a few minutes for the recording to download and then i'll send you another link cool <laughs> okay see you in a couple think think thoughts i will uh, maybe <laughs> recording in progress recording i had in progress thought. i had a thought while we were gone no it's, is it gone? Noah's back. Is okay. here. It's residual <laughs> of the Nepo baby thing. I think mm. like a discrepancy that I'd probably want to make is that maybe like a more apt description, especially like as it relates to how the industry's changed in respectability over time. I think that like the ones like they used to like Maya Hawk that we know and it's more apparent, typically their parents have also done better financially. So I think it's also about like addressing just like the kind of privilege that comes with being a wealthy family as well as having connections, you know, just because the kind of monetary incentive is obviously going to help people get further along regardless of profession. But it just tends to be like, you tend to see like the most obscene displays or like amounts of money per like, people always tell like, oh, they made this much on this money or, or on this money, on this movie. Oh, they made this much money. <laughs> or it'll be like, this person made this much money per episode of a show or whatever. And so I think like part of what they're like, I guess it seems like they're apologizing for it or most of them aren't, but like, I, I guess that's why a lot of them will get caught up in like the, the storytelling family thing, which like you said, a lot of people don't allow room for nuance because there is like value in that kind of just like community and exposure. But I guess that they like lean into that and kind of ignore the fact that there is like privilege in being that wealthy, you know, too. That was my thought. It's a good thought. And I agree. And Thank I think you. it's kind of just like a general, I feel like it's like you can find that in almost any field where like a person who has certain privileges because of their wealth is very often like not the, they would never be the first person to acknowledge that. Yeah, no, exactly. So, did you have any any thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I had a thought, and it left me while we were talking, but then during break, I remembered the thought. So, mm-hmm. we're back. Um, you were asking about, like, re-watching things? Yeah. Um, so, I used to, as a child, chronically reread Harry Potter. Now, Is that's it? a different thing. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's maybe just being a child. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because now I wouldn't touch the books with a 10-foot pole. Well, that is partially because of Miss Turf herself, you know? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Um, So, and, like, I do rewatch certain things pretty regularly. Like, there are certain movies that I simply just will see every year, inevitably. Yeah, like, I'll always watch Ferris Bueller every year. I will always watch Inception. And I recently in the past three years at least, have always been watching Ocean's Eleven. So... <laughs> Jigsaw. Oh, so true. I will... You know what? I think the last time I saw it was last year, so I could do a rewatch. Yeah. Well, it's um, just with Jigsaw. I use that as, like, a reminder. But I guess it's what you do with the other ones, too. Yeah. It's, like, it's a reminder. It's, like, those movies are all fun. Like, they're they're meaningful 
to me because of the experience of rewatching it, not necessarily because of the film itself. Yeah. Um, especially with like Ferris Bueller, where like I saw that for the first time when I was, I think, 11 or 12 and have actually rewatched it every single year since then. <laughs> so it's just like, that's just like a family thing for me. But um, so I think there is value in rewatching things. I think you can learn things from rewatching. I also know that there's comfort in that um, and that it can be used to cope. However, I don't think it's like the answer necessarily. And I think like, often by rewatching a lot of things you close like you are in essence closing yourself off to seeing new pieces of media which I think then kind of translates into your life in a way like yeah. if you aren't going to watch a new tv show how can you go experience a new thing um yeah. and also I think if we kind of I feel like it also makes us less excited not excited but like it makes us not want to change more. Like, I think if you're like you, ideally yeah. you shouldn't just be coping your way through life. Right. Like yeah. ideally you, you, you should, should want something that motivates you to like change what you can. Exactly. Like you want to like be better for yourself. Um, and I think if you're just like constantly like rewatching things as a coping mechanism, not because of like other reasons, then like, I don't know. You just, gotta go and experience the world and it's not as simple as just like going experiencing the world I know that yeah I agree but I also think that like somewhat more than even just like staying in the same world for an extended amount of time it's also just like the act of like choosing the same thing day in day out um like if you just like always reach for that then it's gonna just extend to other parts of your life will where you you won't ever you'll never like have an exploration mindset because like even if it maybe feels silly but like scrolling through like Netflix for longer than you would have like like actively trying to like open your mindset like it just becomes like a closed fixed thing instead of like explore exploration and to just like practice even like a small thing of exploration is probably quite beneficial you know would the audio cut out Oh, no, I just said I agree in the softest little voice ever. Yeah, I appreciate the softest little voice. (laughs) Uh, So, very big pivot, unless you have another thought. No, this is great. I also, just as an aside, Mm -hmm. so I didn't, like, have proper thoughts to say at the beginning of this, which is why I was like, just ask your questions and we will see where it goes. But I did have, like, kind of bullet points of, like, things that are generally floating through my mind. Go and I have to say, your your no, no no your questions already got me through three of them just naturally. <laughs> so this is great. <laughs> okay, so hit me with what's next on your little list. Oh, um, I this is quite a pivot. So I guess it works because you said pivot, but um, identity as signals to other people as opposed to like. Yeah, internal like truths. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just think that's. Yeah, I think about that. <laughs> go hand in hand with like, that's something I've I haven't talked about explicitly, but like I'll touch on a lot in like the podcast episodes to myself, um, <laughs> where I'm just me talking for like two. I did one that was almost three hours the other day, but it's rough. Why? Sometimes do that's just like. <laughs> um, 
But I think that like even like media, like the media you consume can like signal things. I think specifically, like again, this is a show I never watched, probably in part because of the fandom. But a few years ago, like there was the whole like Rick and Morty being a big thing. And that became like, a, oh yeah, it's like when watching a show becomes a personality trait, kind of, I feel like touches on that because it's meant to signal like, in that case, I think it was meant to signal you were like intelligent or like, I think yeah. that was the thing. Um, I also so never saw Rick and Morty. <laughs> and I was like, I think I saw like part of an episode because one of my friends in high school liked it and I was like okay <laughs> and like, you just don't. Cool. There's also the thing where they're like if you don't like it it means you don't get it it means you're stupid so it's like a weird like, yeah. cool thing but in terms yeah. of like clothing uh I, I i'm naturally going to focus on clothing and that's something that I point to a lot but there's like identifiers specifically of wealth of culture of different things and it's i think it's like ultimately beneficial but i to that we have some such a symbolic like understanding but i think that because like the fact that clothing like the color purple in a lot of like ancient countries used to be ancient times like ancient rome it meant like royalty and so purple is just always kind of had like a regal like tone to it and that's not something like people unpack a lot today because in like the 1500s and like up until like 1800s, 1900s, like most people were illiterate. And so there's a lot of like pictures in books. And so you had to have a more visual language that we no longer like that we pretty seldom engage with. And like you said, like a lot of or like like we talked about, I guess, was where people are just like even used to shows, like not having to actively think about like why why is the curtain blue in that book? Why is like why is the light this color in the Great Gatsby? Like, people aren't used to that anymore because we just have the text in front of us to tell, like, most people are literate now. And so they'll just default to, like, assuming that their perception of someone based on, like, these cues that you're talking about are at face value correct because we don't know how to, like, unpack things, if that makes sense. So it's, like, you're, to me, in a way, like, your fascinations with, like, film and TV are your way of like, un- even though you write, like there's still an unpacking of visual cues and what you're going to include in your writing. And to me, with oh, clothing, yeah. I'm trying to unpack, like, what do we think clothes say about ourselves? What are we yeah. trying? And there's always going to be like, to me, like what it boils down to with clothing is trends are when people are doing it for other people. When they're like, oh, this thing is trendy to show I'm in the know, I'm going to buy it too. And style is when you're doing it for yourself, when you've like unpacked what the clothes are trying to remind you of and like who you want to be as a person. So that's my little spiel. I'm gonna breathe. I feel like <laughs> I think the same thing is applicable to film though. Like in terms of like writing films at least, like like trend would in theory be just like following whatever is popular at the time. Yeah. And then style would be like, what is your voice and what do you have to bring to the table? But I also think it's kind of interesting because clothing is a lot more immediate than film, just in terms of like you buy the clothes, you either go to a store and get them or you like order them and either way it's like the span of a week. So like you can immediately signal in terms of trends, but for film, you can't really do that because it takes so much time and so much money and so much planning to make a film. So like if you see like right now, there's like a lot of Westerns happening 
um, and a lot of Westerns in production. But like, if you were to write a film now that's a Western because you think you're trying to be trendy with it, not because you like genuinely want to write it. Yeah, like it would it would be gone. Five years from now, that actually maybe gets to be made. No one cares. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's kind of interesting in that I sense. Because it's- I will say that with clothing, time is a really interesting thing because like that's the whole thing with fast fashion. What you're kind of saying, like fast fashion companies just have technology that allows them to kind of do what you're saying that wouldn't work in film is they'll be like, oh, Westerns are popular we'll make a Western in a day and we'll mass produce it for the day. And that's how like microtrends become a thing is because they'll notice like, so if you've seen the Devil Wears product, like it's kind of like right with a lot of things. So there's like a 20 year uh, trend cycle in fashion, but that's been breaking down because of the microtrends and also arguably because um, the like overusage of the internet uh, presents a collapse of time. So people can just see influences from any decade. And so that's why yeah. it's not really just like representations of like 20 year anniversaries almost. But basically, ideally in fashion, you will have like colors, patterns, certain kinds of clothing seen on the runway and like a couture and things like that. And then like next season, it'll trickle down to into like each layer of fashion. And this has been going on since fashion was sort of like an industry and like the 1600s if nothing else because that even though that's when people made their own clothes or had them made for them like uh tailored specifically the fabrics would just be like less expensive every few years and that's why like it would like keep going down the line of wealth um but then similarly with the trend cycles you also have to like be actively invested in fashion um to even care about like runway stuff because like not everyone cares about that (laughs) and so if you want to be on trend you want to know what's on the runway you're already like part of a small majority and what people in that small majority decide to like from the runway shows is kind of like an initial trend indicator that doesn't come into like a popular majority until like three to four years later typically and that'll be like normal adopters and then there's still late adopters and then there's people that just like get it when it's at its cheapest and that's how it would normally like fluctuate and then at the tail end you have like a 10-year gap before like elements from that initial trend cycle come back again and that's when it like trends normally but the micro trends can just be like at any point in there if someone's like I like this then like I don't know if it's Shein or Shine I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I've heard both ways pronounced um but like they can just do that at any given because they just like generate so much like waste so it's like yes and no if if you like care about clothes at all even if you are doing it like with a trend cycle and not like a micro trend um like if you were just someone who was planning the westerns it's still still a funky time it's a funky time in fashion and time in fashion has literally been collapsing the last few years it's weird <laughs> it's weird yeah. to watch and then you investigate like styles and it's so much symbology with clothing that you're like what the fuck am i (laughs) no idea where in time and space you are and that's just fabric yeah i guess in a sense it is also yes and no in film i know i like said it was like basically no in film but it is a little bit yes because like from an independent writing perspective like yeah it won't work to like write a western now and expect it to be popular in like five or seven years yeah um because it's popular now but at the same time, like, studios have the power to do things and, like, 
studios in a way in one way or another do set certain trends because they're the ones green lighting projects yeah um so like if they see that westerns are popular now they can be like oh what if you like we can commission you to do this like um and also like if they like with reboots as well like i was just and westerns i guess um nick pizzolano i don't think that's his last name the guy who created and wrote true detective um he wanted to write like an original western for i don't know for who i think he's doing it with paramount um but they basically said we can have you do a western but it has to be a reboot of like an old movie and so he's like doing like some kind of like spin-off based off of an older western but like i think that's so interesting because like like intellectual property is just like the game now and no one like they're putting a lot more effort into like reboots and into like book adaptations and all that um but also it also ties into trends because they think westerns are popular and they think reboots are popular so here we have both and do you think in a way that this could go back to even like what you're saying of like re-watching something or like knowing some like if you've seen a movie it's going to be a reboot you kind of know what's going to happen you feel like comfortable so maybe like because it's a time of uncertainty like financially for a lot of people that you're probably just seeking comfort in a lot of ways and I I've seen like an analysis where they say that like I think it was it's something related to like national U.S. identity specifically but they'll make superhero films during like critical periods of like american nationalism so it just like also there's a lot of like tie-ins with that with the kind of references in films being made so do you think it's maybe just like trying to have like a certain comfort with the reboots or is it also like what does a western maybe mean to like the common mind is it like i mean a new frontier with ai what are they trying to say it's true um i feel like it depends on what the reboot is like Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> yeah, like Top Gun. I actually don't even think you could consider Top Gun in this because that is so so much of that is it's just like tied to Tom own. Cruise. Yeah, it's like a masterpiece of a film, basically. It's, but no, it's like it, it is basically just like a metaphor for like Hollywood and like for Tom Cruise's own personal career. Um, so I don't know if that necessarily follows the same reboot rule. Also, mm-hmm. just because like I'm thinking like like Gossip Girl. Like, when they did that reboot. (laughs) I can't believe it got canceled. I know. And then, like, none of them were at the Met this year. And they were, like, all there last year. It was kind of weird. A lot of people actually weren't at the Met, which I found interesting. I was Um, surprised that Lily Rose Depp was not there, considering she's, like, a little Chanel girly. And she was not there. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting, indeed. Much to think about. Um, I was so... (laughs) Um... Like, for Gossip Girl, I think that reboot is fully, like, in nostalgia because the people who are, like, it's been, that show is relatively recent, so the people watching it would be the people also, like, they would get a new audience with the reboot, but it's also, like, the original audience who would be intrigued. Um, I don't think it necessarily applies when you have, like, a really old piece of media that's being remade. Um, Like this is older, but like a star is born. Like that movie has been made three or four different times. Um, like the exact same. And, um, yeah, twice. And then all quiet on the Western front three times. Yeah. 
Like, it's just like, they just keep making the same thing over and over again. And I don't think any of those pieces of text necessarily have like a dedicated fan base. Who's like, I want to see all quiet on the Western front again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I don't think it necessarily applies there. It's maybe like for the studios, just like a sure thing because they can say like, this is like with all quiet, they say like, this is the greatest war story ever told. And they run with that. Um, And (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I remember being harrowed by the book. So I've yet to see the movie. I didn't know there was a book. Oh yeah. It was, it was a book by Eric Maria remark written um, about his own experiences in world war one. And I read it in my sophomore year English class and it was mildly traumatizing but <laughs> you went through we've that moved one. on <laughs> i did <laughs> literally i mean every book i read that year had to do with like descent or war like it was a bleak year it was just like that and like lord yeah. of the flies and julius caesar i like lord of the flies i want to like lord of the flies but i saw it in as a play it was fun oh i think i would like it as a play my friend uh was crying then oh, I, wow then i was like oh girl it's okay. <laughs> What a reaction. We're in eighth grade, <laughs> to be fair. Oh, no. <laughs> Just like emotionally attached to what was the name? Piggy. Yeah, it was Piggy. <laughs> yeah. And she's like um, she was like sobbing and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I like that you knew that that's what she cried about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, understandably it would be that. I <laughs> yeah. yeah. But honestly, I feel like that's some things in university. Uh, like depending on what you study it's a brute like i've talked about this before but there is a semester where i took all environmental classes i was so depressed yeah like that is so also like side note i kind of i would like kind of just walk around this world and i'm everyone would be like oh like thinking about they'll be like oh if i whenever i have kids and i'll be like will the world be like here yeah not and i'll be like oh in 10 years i'm like that's funny um, and I don't like say this because I know that that's hard for you, but it's weird because it is just so ingrained that I'm like, I have such a sense of doom, Yeah, <laughs> which is so, and I think it is like, I had it before that semester. Cause I like was just very like active in environmental things since high school, but that like really beat it into me. Yeah. It's like, it's soon. <laughs> yeah. Like, stop. <laughs> yeah. So I just, sometimes I'll be on walks and I'll be like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, I feel like if I'd become too aware of my surroundings, just like existing in the world, not even just like inside, but just like the actual world, I'm just like, oh, so how long is this going to be here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I do kind of like, so it's only been as early as it, it was only like the 1910s that like ecology as a science really became a thing. Um, and before that there wasn't, and also like in the, in the same kind of time frame, that's when like fear of like atomic war started happening like later in the 1900s and everything like then that those are the kind of like the on mass existential, like mindsets that people develop where they're like doomsday, whatever. And I guess that like in ye old times, people had like, the fear of all the gods in them, yeah. you know? And so that, that would be kind of like their impending doom. So I kind of, 
But I just wonder, was there ever a little gap in time when people didn't have this, like, when's it over? The yeah. crops aren't doing good. Uh, where are the gods going to end this next year? Um, I feel like this is purely a theory based in no fact. Um, as theory I feel, <laughs> Yes. Um, I feel like if there was any time in recent history, at least, where that was the case, it, I feel like maybe, like, just post y2k when like there were so many people who were like the world is going to end and then it didn't well, I, end wasn't there like was it 2011 or 2012 when everyone's like the mayan or was it the aztec calendar they were like, oh that was 2012 calendar. they're like yeah. it ends now and so it's like even then there's like i guess maybe like 2000 like oh not even 2001 because <laughs> birth year <laughs> Yeah, maybe like for a brief period. My birthday was the only time anyone felt happy. <laughs> exactly. And simply, we will never achieve that happiness again. It's okay. Well, I'm still here. I'll do it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you will be our beacon. <laughs> uh, also, outside my window, there's like a little pond thing. If you saw in my story, there's turtles. There's a turtle in the story. I saw the turtles. I um, love that guy. There's a bunch of turtles in this pond, but there's also the geese have had their babies. So there's little fuzzy baby geese oh walking around, and I keep looking at them. I see them. I love, that. Like, <laughs> I love the babies. I very often, when I'm just like going through photos, I have this one photo that I took when we were walking through St. James's Park in mm-hmm. London. Um, I think on the way to the Tate. Um, and it's yeah. just like these geese looking so affronted and they have like all the little babies also looking offended. And it's just, it's my favorite picture. <laughs> They're just side-eyeing me, but I love it. I love baby. I just love any, like your fluffy hair. I love anything fluffy, including the baby geese. Well, thank you. So on behalf out. of myself and the geese. Have you met gunpowder before? I've seen him, but I've not met him personally. Any gunpowder. For the I love him. This is a little wooden duck. Um, yes. He's being want, rotated. I can give you I can give you his lore very quickly. Oh yes, please. Um so my lifelong best friend, Callum, whenever we would go to his grandparents' house, uh, which is like pretty often because he always had like family things, um, we were the youngest by far until his like little he's an uncle. So until his niece was born and his other was there like a collective term for nieces and nephews like um i don't know i also i don't know if there's a gender neutral term because i saw someone call bella ramsey niece view on twitter (laughs) (laughs) they didn't want to gender them (laughs) i was like that's a little (laughs) i like that um but um so we would go to his grandparents, but for many years we were the youngest. And so we would go up to his grandma's closet and like she had a like a family of these wooden ducks oh, in wow. and we would just play with them. And um recently my best friend, his grandparents like moved into a condo because they've been getting older. Um and he gave me one of the ducks because rightfully so. We've been I've been separated from my child for so long. Yeah. That was your bestie right there. Yeah. I your call seasonal bestie. I, like I think it. it's funny to call it gunpowder. I don't know. I do think it's funny as well. <laughs> okay. So the hard pivot, I'd like to do little check-ins with these, and I haven't been great about it. 
So how are you feeling in this general world at the moment? How are you feeling with graduation? In even if it's stressful, this is a little safe moment to process that. Thank you. Um I like it is stressful, but it isn't like like I think I've accepted it. <laughs> like it's just like it's going to happen regardless <laughs> yeah. of what I think about. Yeah. <laughs> like I will graduate. I will go to my last class. I will like I like like half of it is acceptance of the fact that those things will happen and half of it is like me manifesting when I'm like I will get a job. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. So like but like I do believe that I will. Like even if it's not like like I've had to like with the writer's strike I've had to kind of re I don't know why I didn't reconsider it until the strike actually happened. But like I won't get a writer writing job. Like I mean getting a writing job out of college is already a bit of a pipe dream, but like it for sure will not happen at least for a few months. Like I just can't even pursue a writing job. I can work on my own writing, but like I can't get paid for it. Um which is fine, but that means that like I have to now like branch out slightly. Um yeah. and so for me branching out and also coping has meant watching the Stanley Cup finals <laughs> and also looking for jobs in the NHL. Um, That's kind of fun. So, yeah, I was like, if they need a videographer, if they need a social media person, I have those skills. And also I love hockey. You can hit up the Rangers. So, <laughs> exactly. The Rangers are unfortunately not hiring. Um, but the NHL in general... Not until they see this so. or hear this. <laughs> yes, I will send this to them. They will know... <laughs> Um, <laughs> thank you um but yeah it's like I think I've just like kind of accepted that it's going to happen and that there are certain things that I can't know until I know yeah and I'm just kind of trying to take it a day at a time because I feel like when I was even just like before this semester I think I very often would live in the past and the future yeah. and never like actually experienced my life um means but now yeah I'm familiar now (laughs) yeah um I think I've told you about this but I've been doing this little writing retrospective and I don't think it's a retrospective because I think I'm using that word wrong but (laughs) (laughs) basically I'm like writing yeah um I'm doing like journal entries but not journal entries because it's like for an audience um and it's just like me like going through my day and I feel like it's, like, forced me to actually, like, notice the things happening in my life and, like, appreciate them. So I think I appreciate that's, you. And I appreciate you. <laughs> um, but, like, I think it's it's led me to where I currently am, where I'm, like, stressed about finding a job, but not stressed about having to find a job. Like, it's more just, like, it's something I have to do and I will do it and, yeah. like, there is inherent stress in job hunting, yeah. um, but not necessarily like anything added. Yeah. And some of that's just like the nature of like stress is like motivation, maybe. Is it just like, yeah. this is just a thing I have to get done, but not letting it like control everything else. Like exactly. a little bit can help you be structured too yeah. much and make that structure go. Yeah. Oof. And I'm, I'm pursuing balance because I will, yes, I will force myself to apply to like 20 jobs this weekend, yeah. but I will also catch the next 
the next hockey game that's on maybe tonight. I haven't checked the schedule. So we live in both lives. I also, just a note of like a parallel. I've been trying to get into rugby. And so you're in your hockey era. I'm in my rugby era. I love that for us. Eras. I don't know. I know. I don't know. It's an interesting turn. (laughs) A little out of left field, but also if you want to get an F1, I wouldn't be mad about that. (laughs) Oh, I would love to get an F1. The Miami Grand Prix is this weekend. Ooh. Also, I strike. I watch it. Yeah. It's um, (laughs) on the actual race is Sunday at like 3 or 3.30. Just so you know. I I can maybe get down with that. I'm glad. It's been my... I would also... Speaking of like things as representations of self or like meant to say something other than mm. like you like it, yeah. um, there's a big thing and there's some really interesting studies about like the kinds of fans of each team for F1. Um, and literally everybody I know that likes F1, they're all Ferrari fans. So I'm like, I like you could look at MBTI, you could look at all these other things. I'm friends with Ferrari fans consistently and it's not even as though it's like i mean they are a top team so they are just like a lot of ferrari fans but it's not yeah. as though like like, uh, like people like people a lot of people like red bull i like mercedes mercedes is like a very popular team too and that just like that kind of person so i would just be interested to see what team you end up liking is kind of what, like would it also be ferrari what does it mean that everyone in my life likes ferrari <laughs> My mom sends me pictures of Charles Leclerc because he is a pretty man. So she yeah. would be. She, <laughs> she she literally just hears me turn on the TV and she just hears the cars going vroom, vroom, vroom. And she's like, oh, it's, it's a Grand Prix today. I'm like, yep. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I think it's, there's something, not in the exact same sense, but like in hockey, I also am interested in the kinds of fans that there are because I fully like, I mean, I, grew up watching sports just because I would go to my cousin's house in Chicago. He would be watching sports. Yeah. So I would just be watching sports. Um, but so there is that, but I also do know that my like interest in hockey, like I can trace it back down to like a comic that I read. Well, read it's over. Um, that is about, um, college hockey. And so I'm like, okay, my understanding of, and like love for this sport is born out of these like fictional characters. I'm like, that's fine. Um, but I also think it's interesting because in hockey, you have people who I think would be considered like traditional hockey fans, like just like yeah. very burly white men. Um, <laughs> and like they 100% are a very large part of like the hockey audience. But then you also have a lot of people who treat hockey like a fandom and like yeah. they fully just like will like, like, speaking of parasocial relationships like that it's like so such a big thing specifically in hockey in a way that i've not seen really in any other sport and i think it's very interesting to see like what like group you fit into as a hockey fan because i don't think i really fit into either because like i don't know any of these players names (laughs) Um, and i'm also not a very burly straight white man (laughs) but um yeah (laughs) If nothing else listening, about me, that is um, not an atmosphere. <laughs> yes. Um, I know you might think that based on my voice. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, this is a pretty, like, basic note, but just, like, on, like, that traditional hockey fan kind of 
train of thought. Um, there is something where people are like the fandom thing, but even with traditional people, it'll be traditional like hockey fans. Um, I work with one. Um, <laughs> and he'll be like, yeah, if your team loses, like they get so far. And if they lose at the end, then you're going to be like upset for the rest of like the year. And it's like, that's not like, yeah. no, that's the kind of thing that like specifically like young girls that like have interests of any kind always get like shit on for. Yeah. Uh, and they'll be like, that's so abnormal. That's so weird of you. And then they like, their like traditional hockey fan father flips the channel and is like screaming the rest of the day, you know? <laughs> And so it just like such a like weird. It's so weird to like try and isolate people for that thing that is in some ways like pretty normal, like to want to connect. Yeah. And to have, like, in a weird way, parasocial relationships are normal. That doesn't mean they're healthy, but they like they happen. But they are frequent. Right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all have different strokes for different folks. You know. Exactly. <laughs> and you are on that hockey grind, and I'm getting on the rugby <laughs> grind. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, and also just seeing so you know, girlies in their sports era. The, this been this coming to a, the time close. <laughs> yeah. I see her counting down in the corner. It stresses me out. But do we have oh, no. any final thoughts, comments, questions, concerns? Anything on your mind? Anything you, you want to get off your chest into the void? <laughs> Honestly, there's absolutely nothing. I feel like I've just been having a great couple days and this put a bow on so it. <laughs> I will say I'm and it was, everyone What's up? Oh no. Speak. I think our my conditions <laughs> like makes you like your speech slightly delayed, so I'll think that it's okay and then I'm like, oh no. <laughs> um, but I keep seeing like like NYU like senior stuff and I'm like yeah it's me but where am i <laughs> i don't know i is think there... there'll still be stuff when you arrive yeah but there's like a cruise tonight and i was like i want to go on a cruise i know i'm not going on the cruise i am was it i don't know what i'm doing i have a feeling it would be. i think it was it sold out pretty quick and i think it was like over 50 dollars which to me okay. i'm like i take the ferry to work so i don't need to be getting on another <laughs> boat <laughs> also um i'm on my subloading journey and i almost got a place in stytown but then it didn't happen oh my god but we could have no. so close oh my god pain i will yeah but this was very fun i'm so glad I, you asked me to be on i'm so I'm glad you agreed <laughs> <laughs> um, and I realized I did this wrong and then I fixed it. I'm doing part two spreading one wonder. Um, yes. But you can do heart cheeks to, to follow that. along. <laughs> um, but what was I going to say? Oh, good luck applying for jobs. I'll see you soon. Thank you. And you we so have to do little celebrations for grad. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I'm excited. Yes. <laughs> Oh, and the thing that we end with, if you if you do not know, is you guys say, love beams. So you, it's your turn, and then I'll end the recording. Love beams.